All right, March 7th, and it is a warm evening in New York. Hopefully spring is right in the horizon here. And this is the Courtside Podcast. It's Matt Etlinger. And I guess I should rename this podcast because we talk so much football. I got to come up with a new name. But uh, it's a weird time of the year, uh, March 7th, and it's kind of a slow sports time. Uh, football just ended. A lot of people are having the, the hangover of not watching football. Uh, we got a lot of things in the future that we're looking forward to. We got March Madness, the Masters, the NFL Draft. There's, we got this looming baseball lockout, uh, which I'm not even fully sure if, if anyone really cares about. I know New York is a baseball town. but. I wanted to bring in Mike Troiano, who's been a great guest. He's essentially the resident football expert, and he's just getting off of work. He had a, a late night last night. He watched the Batman movie, which I didn't even know there was a new Batman movie. I watched the official trailer of it just now. And, and Mike, why don't, you, why don't you give me your quick scale of one to 10? What did you think of the movie? Um, trying not to be um, too overreactionary, but I'd say it was a solid nine. It was really good. Wow. Um, so I'm a big, you know, I, I'm a former prosecutor. I've always been uh, interested in, you know, crime and, you know, just naturally the more interesting crimes are violent ones. Um, so I've always kind of been fascinated by serial killers and crime sprees, you know, things of that nature. And basically this movie, unlike being a typical cheesy comic book movie, is basically three hours of uh, the Batman hunting down a serial killer. Um so I'd say even if you're not a comic book fan, if you're just into that sort of stuff, which I know given the proliferation of true crime podcasts over the last decade or so that a lot of your listeners probably are, uh, I suggest go seeing it. It's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure how many female listeners we have. I feel like a lot of women these days are just obsessed with these, <laughs> these murder mysteries, true crime. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do more online dating than you do, but um, <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, let's segue. Right. Let's just jump into it. Uh, one of the most interesting stories, Mike, that has uh, taken place, and you and I have had a chance to kind of digest it here over the last few weeks, as opposed to being a part of, you know, what I think there's too much of, which is really an, an inflamed uh, media, uh, where you know when news breaks, and this is obviously not just in the sports world, but I remember when the Brian Flores. Uh, discriminatory lawsuit was filed a few weeks ago uh, and for those who don't know essentially Brian Flores was a, a relatively successful defensive head coach African-American or actually I think he's from Honduras um, correct me if I'm wrong Mike um, but uh, he's a black man and he uh, was the coach of the Miami Dolphins for three seasons had three decent years uh, but never made the playoffs uh, many still thought he was a, an ascending coach and he was fired from the Miami Dolphins. And there was a lot of controversy uh, over the owner, Stephen Ross, uh, potentially uh, paying him to tank and lose games to get better draft positioning. There could be other motives behind the losing of the games for all we know. Uh, but he was fired. A lot of people were very surprised about it. What ensued was him being a, a top candidate for a variety of head coaching positions, including the New York Giants, uh, Houston Texans, among others. And he wound up not getting any of the top jobs that he felt that he was uh, arguably the top candidate for, uh, most notably the New York Giants, big market team. And uh, he essentially had a couple of friends, it sounds like, from uh, 
younger in his life, whether it was back in college, uh, that were attorneys. And I'm not even sure exactly what precipitated the lawsuit, whether they, you know, he went to them or maybe they came to him. Uh, you might have some more insight on that. But they, they wound up filing uh, essentially what was uh, a lawsuit, might be a class action lawsuit against the NFL claiming discriminatory hiring practices. And uh, obviously, we all know that with, with only uh, three now, maybe four NFL head coaches being black, uh, that this, this is a problem, being that the majority of the players are, are Afri- African-American or black. And um, so uh, what's interesting is this conversation that happened in the media. I noticed a lot of folks obviously were um, somewhat tentative to really uh, you know, get their feelings out there. You know, out of fear, out of being canceled, perhaps. Uh, but uh, I also noticed a lot of, as I was saying before, a lot of inflammatory remarks in the media, a very polarizing, passionate debate that ensued. So what what are your initial thoughts on what happened, Mike, uh, with Flores? Uh, where do you come out on that? So um, I think there's different ways you can attack this. I'm going to just start. I'd like to make one comment just regarding the language of the lawsuit itself. Um, part of which which I actually think is kind of disgraceful. So um, in the lawsuit, um, part of, one of the allegations that um, Flores' attorneys make is that the NFL is set up like a plantation where the black players perform the labor and the white coaches and owners reap the benefits. Now, the you know, numbers are stark and um, are not really subject to argument, right? I mean, I think over 75% of the players in the league are black. Yet, um, I think as of right now, there's only two black head coaches. Um, so the numbers are off. There's no denying that. However, um, to equate uh, the the NFL, which is like the players are employees, right? Just like any other corporate entity, any other company, employees perform the labor, the owner reaps the majority of the benefits. It just is what it is. That's what you have in a capitalist society. To characterize players playing a game, right? They're, they're entertainers at bottom um, who become 99, or not 99%ers, who become 1%ers the second they get drafted into the NFL, right? I mean, if you look even at a seventh round uh, rookie contract, these guys are making in the middle of six figures um, the second they start. Um, their careers as rookies. Uh, to equate that, you know, the statistics notwithstanding, um, two plantations where untold millions of you know, African Americans were enslaved, dominated, um, physically, psychologically abused um, for centuries. Um, I really think is just abhorrent use of language by those attorneys, considering all the people who suffered under the regime of slavery, the hundreds of thousands of men who died in the Civil War to fight for emancipation, and even going forward in Jim Crow in the Jim Crow South, um, you know, all the impossibly brave um, civil rights leaders. Um, who fought for equality in this country and who ended up paying the ultimate price. Um, I think to use such absolutely over-the-top language is really despicable. I think it gives lawyers, you know, it, it paints um, the unflattering 
image of lawyers that um, most of our society has. And I, th- I think it gives that a picture of credence. Um, I, it really upset me. <laughs> you know, as somebody who has no skin in this game, right? Um, th- that language really, um, you know, it really gave me a, I had a very visceral reaction to it. Um, and even, especially as an attorney, I just, I, I did not agree with it at all. Yeah. Go ahead. The lawsuit itself, I I don't know how much we could really get into that, right? Because I, it, it looks like under the claims that he's making, you have to prove discriminatory intent. I don't really see how you can do that. Um, I think we need to look at two things, right? Because again, there's so many different angles. Why did he get fired and why did he not get a job? Let's look first at why he got fired. Um, it really looks like there's two reasons. One, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, has a proven track record of being a moron. <laughs> and basically what happened here, right, was um, the general manager, Chris Greer, who is also black, by the way, um, appears to have won a power struggle here. Right. He got Flores fired. Right. Something that's conveniently left out of the this national narrative is that Flores got whacked by a black general manager. Right. And um, the reason why I said that um, Ross is a moron is when you look at the track record between uh, the two, right? Like it, it became very clear, right? Through the uh, I've read at this point dozens of articles on the on the firing. It became very clear there was massive tension between Flores, Tua, and. Um, Greer and Flores was pissed that um, Greer chose to uh, over Herbert, and that Greer didn't uh, didn't entertain the possibility of replacing Tua uh, after a very disappointing rookie season. Um, it basically then became right. Um, it's going to be Greer and Tua or Flores. There wasn't going to be a world where all three um, where all three coexist, coexisted. And um, just looking at the track records of Greer and Flores, uh, you have Greer, who chose the worst quarterback out of the top three taken um, in the 2020 draft. He utterly failed to build an offensive line for that. He's whiffed on a high number uh, of, of draft picks. Uh, they rebuilt that defense primarily through free agency. Um you have him and you have Tua, who's so far, right, by all accounts, mediocre, um, against Flores, who has four Super Bowl rings and who led what is considered a mediocre roster uh, to a winning record over three seasons. If I were the owner, I think the choice was the, the, it's not even an argument. I would have chosen Flores. I think Flores is a good coach. Um, but just for whatever reason, Greer had Ross's ear. I'm sure we'll never know the exact details of how what went down went down. But um, Greer won the struggle. And Flores is out. Now, right, and I think this is really the, the basis of the suit, is why didn't Flores get hired? I, his resume in terms of wins and losses speaks for itself. His resume in terms of his defensive performance speaks for itself. 
Um, and I think with the exception of last year, his team was somewhat undisciplined. They ranked towards the bottom of the league in, in penalties. Generally, his teams were disciplined too. So I believe he is, on the whole, a good coach. Here's the issue. There's a key number here. Key number is three. That is the number of offensive coordinators Brian Flores had in his three years coach of the Miami Dolphins. And if you look at our beloved NFL, there's no denying that it has increasingly become an offense-driven league. If you look at the head coaching hires over the last two years, and, and especially this year, there were seven new head coaches hired. Of those seven, five were offensive. Right. Right? Um, and and, it, and if you and and Mike, if you look at the, I believe it was the eight remaining NFL playoff teams. I believe six of them of the eight, besides, uh, I believe it was Belichick and and one and Tomlin. Tomlin, yeah. Uh, I, I I believe they were all offensive-minded coaches. So right. Just reiterating I, I, what you're saying, this is that's I, I think while we saw a lot of a lot of NFL general managers go offense with their hires yeah of course you have to keep up at, right, right. The, the goal here is to win a Super Bowl it's not I mean it should be your goal right when, when you're when you're fielding a team um, the goal is to win a Super Bowl it's not to be competitive it's not to make the playoffs it's to go into Arrowhead Stadium it's to go into Buffalo right so- it's to go into San Francisco and LA and shoot the best offenses in the NFL. Now, now, Mike, let me let me quickly interrupt you. Sure. Is it possible that there could be when you talk about potential systematic racism in the NFL? Is it possible that there's not enough? We're talking about offensive coordinators are getting the head coaching jobs. Why aren't more offensive coordinators? African-American. You know, you obviously have Biennemi, who's most notably been interviewed a bunch of times. I think for the last three or four seasons, his name's been in the mix for some head coaching jobs. He's never gotten the job. I I have to believe that he's a frumpy interview. He's just a frumpy interview. He's not not, not winning the room. But why are are more African-Americans not offensive coordinators? That, that's, that's the question. That, that's the, there, that no is the question, right? Like, there's no answer to it. It's just, it's just why. And is the question is: Is there discriminatory? Similar? Does it go back all the way down to why there's not enough African American quarterbacks? Because quarterbacks typically could, you know, are, uh, have to be the smartest player on the team, right? And then, are they not getting enough opportunities? And then, are, are quarterbacks not turning into coaches? And are coaches not turning into offensive coordinators? Right. So where does it start? I think it's really right. That's the million dollar question. And I think without being in, you know, this go even really, right. If you think about where the, the, the tendrils of this issue go down to um, really, right. You're looking at, you have to look at the high school and college levels, right? Enough. Um, why aren't there enough black quarterbacks? Why aren't there enough black offensive coaches? I mean, coaches rise. I mean, unless you're an NFL star, right? Like, um, you know, say for instance, like a Byron Leftwich, 
uh, who's also proven to he, he should have gotten a head coaching job. He didn't get a job this year because uh, Shad Khan is an absolute imbecile and um, right. decided to keep Trent Baalke. Um Well, I think I think the Jacksonville it, hire Doug Peterson is a likable guy. I think that was a good hire. But I, I correct me if I'm wrong. Did and, and maybe you were alluding to this, but by, wasn't Byron offered the Jacksonville job? He was offered the job to, to my recollection. He was offered the job, but with the condition that uh, he had to work with Trent Baalke, and he said no. Got it. Okay. Um. So yeah, man. Um. Right. That's the million dollar question. You see more black quarterbacks in the league, right? But I mean, but it's certainly not overwhelming. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. The last, thinking through the last couple of quarterback drafts last year, there wasn't one. Right, especially out of the top five. Right. Um, this year you're going to have Malik Willis, but other than that, the year before, no. You got to go back to um, Lamar Jackson, obviously. Right. First round. Yeah. Um, Lamar. Um, what's his name? The kid who got um, who got cut from the Redskins. Um, oh, from Ohio. State. Haskins. 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 Yeah. Um, oh, you have Justin Fields. I apologize. Yeah, Justin, Justin Fields. Fields. Yeah, but, but, but look at us, right? Like we're, we're right. sitting here ch- ch- cherry picking out of out of tw- you know what three or four names out of twenty. Right. So there's definitely a disproportion. It has to be, you know, and it, it should be fixed. Um, but but I think you know, to, I, you to, know to, again, to, I just to, think that this is where it starts. I mean, you look at a lot yeah. of these guys. Doug Peterson was a former quarterback. A lot yep. of the backup quarterbacks, Jason yep. Garrett. Doug Peterson, a lot of Frank these guys Reich. become off at Frank Reich. These guys become offensive coaches, then they become head coaches. So I, I, I think that's where it starts. And and uh, that's where they got to, you know, just looking fundamentally. So, right. And, and I think, right, and I think to, to, to wrap this up, right, I mean, I think the, you know, even if this lawsuit proves, you know, to... That proves to not be provable, um, and you know, and and the you know, the needlessly bombastic language of the lawsuit, notwithstanding, um, hopefully people in the league, pe- hopefully people in the college ranks, um, are asking the same questions that you and I, you know, who are just two hobbyists who happen to love the game. Um, hopefully, they're having the same conversation that we are. Right, and. Um, so hopefully, we're, we're sitting here five years from now, and um, you know we're, we're looking at um, a bit of a different landscape. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, when you look at what the Giants, for example, did with Flores, they, to me, d- do you think that it was? Are you leaning towards racism, or are you leaning towards just shrewd, cold? asshole business practice i mean you and i both work in you know in professional services industries that some might say are are, are cold-blooded industries sometimes things don't go your way winning clients losing clients winning jobs losing jobs and you know we're, we're in the business of being engaged by clients and you know and 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 i've been certainly you know been on the wrong side of a client potentially leading you on and then spending a lot of time on something then not getting engaged not getting the job so to speak so uh um i i look at what the giants did and and, and a part of me you know ultimately it's a he said she said situation but a part of me 
is leaning towards maybe, just maybe, this could have been shrewd, cold business practice where they led a guy on saying, you know, we like you, we like you, we'd like you to be the coach, meaning that that's what the message that they were transmitting, or at least um, the perceived message to Flores. And that's certainly what his, his attorneys have led us to believe the Giants did. Or was, was this an example of the Giants keeping him warm, knowing that Dable was their first choice, but then let's say Dable says, you know what, guys, I don't want the Giant job. I'm going to take uh, this Jacksonville job or this Texans job or this Bears job. And they wanted to make sure that Flores was still warm for the job. Where do you land on that? Well, I mean, it's hard It's hard to know without knowing all the facts, right? But all, right. So remember, first and foremost, right now, I don't know if they had already satisfied the rule, but... Um, right. Seems like you know interviewing Flores was one of the Rooney rule, um, one of the Rooney rule candidate. No, I'm jumbling my words here. Uh, he was a Rooney rule candidate. So um, you no, know, by the league's rules, uh, I believe now it's up to I believe it's two um, that in every head coaching search, search uh, team has to interview two minority candidates. So right. you know, notwithstanding that, basically had to interview him. Um, no, there's certainly a world where he greatly impressed in the interviews because I mean everything you read about the guy um, says that he's a very impressive, uh, he's a very impressive man. Um, he's from Brownsville, New York, which I'm right. sure um, everybody says. Um, but literally having been a prosecutor in Kings County, Brooklyn, I think I have a bit more of an insight into just how rough of a neighborhood that is and how much of an achievement it is for him to reach uh, where he has reached. That being said, it's very possible that he blew Giants away in their interview. They loved him, but um, so did Dayball. Um, You're choosing between defensive guy. You have Joe, I believe at that point they had hired Joe Shane um, to be the general manager. And if you're Joe Shane, who's also from Buffalo, like Dayball, um, who are you going to hire? Are you going to hire the guy who just had a feud with his you know, with his general manager, went through three offensive coordinators in three years, had a feud with his quarterback? Or are you going to have the guy who many see, and Shane would obviously know better than everybody else because he was at the building, um, would you rather have the guy who just molded you know, 52% completion percentage Josh Allen from Wyoming into a top two quarterback in the NFL? Right. So, you know, and, 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 you know, exactly, you know, I, I definitely think there are some gamesmanship in there, but that's, you know, like you said, keeping Flores warm, but I mean, that's just business. Yeah. That, 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 that is what it is. And it's not, not like, you know, you're not hiring one of these guys to, you know, to, to be um, a line worker you know, at, at, at some random corporation. This is a you're interviewing a guy for one of the 32 head coaching jobs in the NFL. You're going to give this guy the keys to the New York Giants franchise and pay him, what, seven to eight million dollars a year. It's a huge decision. You want to make sure you get the right guy. And you want to make sure that you as the organization have all your options open, especially considering what the decade of incompetence that they just they suffered through basically following the uh, following the 2011 Super Bowl. Exactly. Yeah. It's a it's a tough call. I think that they would have been 
you know, whether it was going to be Flores or Dayball, I mean, those are obviously two great candidates. Yeah, I mean, they, they couldn't go wrong. It's just a matter of preference. And if they gave, if they gave Shane the final say, you know, would you choose your buddy or a stranger? You're going to choose the person you're you're familiar with. That's typically how people get hired. They right. hire people that they know. Right. So, I'm sorry, buddy. Go ahead. Yeah. So let, let's just kind of segue into somewhat of a lighter conversation. I just saw a headline, uh, a few day old headline about Troy Aikman signing. Speaking of guys who get paid a lot of money, this guy, Troy Aikman, five year deal to leave Fox to go to ESPN. And I'm assuming he's going to be doing Monday night football. That's $20 million a year for a colored commentator. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but that seems like a lot of money to, are, are, I wonder how many people, how they gauge that decision. How many people are going to watch, how many more people are going to watch ESPN Monday Night Football because Troy Aikman is doing the games. I mean, $20 million a year? Seems like a lot. Uh, so I want to, I, I, thinking about how I was going to answer this question, I'm going to ask you a question. When you heard that Troy Aikman was going to um, commentate Monday Night Football, what did you feel? Gut reaction right now. What do you feel? Professional, stable, good voice, knows the game. Right. I feel. But, I feel. I feel. But, but, but he's. I, I, so, I don't so, feel much. Okay. That that's the answer I was looking for. My answer was nothing. Right. Like okay, great. Look, dude, dude guy, the guy's been, guy's been a commentator for what twenty years at this point. He's an NFL great, but I mean, for people who are watching the the, the majority now, people who are watching the game, right? Say ages, what maybe fifteen through forty five. Like, does he really move the needle for any of those people? Like, none of us really remember him playing. Like, like honestly, like, if. And uh, he doesn't really add all, all that much to a broadcast. Like, look, p- people rag on the guy, but if it was Romo, you know, or, you know, you know, his own problems notwithstanding, if it was Gruden pre, uh, you know, pre, um, pre-scandal, right? Like, like his old days at Monday Night Football. Yeah. Would, um, would you really argue, um, you know, entertainment value-wise? That those guys are worth that type of money. Well, that, I, mean, I don't, well, I don't know if anybody's worth that type of money, but but they, I think they they are more so, right? In, in terms of the of the viewership product. Yeah, I mean that, that's an interesting. I mean, like the Gruden name to me, he's he's a movie star. I mean, he he's he's yeah. phenomenal. He's he, he he has such a unique energy. So he's one of the few guys I think does move the needle. I mean, he he would get me you know, pre. All the horrible things that he yeah, said. Right. I, I would. I, I used to like tuning into him. He just had that growl when he was on. He just was a unique guy. But to, look, I, I'm a football all, coach I, through and through, right? I, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of people getting their market value for things, and I, uh, it, of course, and, and whether it's three million or twenty million, but it just seems like twenty million dollars a year is so much money. It just seems like so much. So. Yeah, that, that's astronomical. It just maybe it shows that I don't know. What is it, does it show that ESPN's getting desperate? Yeah. Could, could they could they not get anybody else? It's it's weird because I know they have the Manning cast that simultaneously goes on on ESPN right. too, while the other guys are on ESPN, 
And I happen to like Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy. I, he's definitely a, a neutral guy, right. but um, this is just—it's interesting. I, I, I wonder. Uh, I wonder. Ultimately, I guess we won't know until he's on there talking. We'll know how we really feel about it if we're tuning in or not. But you know, um, absolutely, him with Riddick might might be an interesting combo. But I mean, other than that, right? Like, I don't. You know, good luck, ESPN. It would be my 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 reaction, I guess, in the end. Yeah, it just it to me. Yeah, my initial reaction was that that's a waste of money. That's yeah. That's the way I, was. That's, I mean, you could do so much good in the world. With twenty million dollars a year, I mean, ESPN, you know, whether it's philanthropically or, or whatever, production-wise, you know, making other great thirty for thirties, but that just seems like that just seems like a lot. But I think you're right; you must be onto something. They wouldn't do it if they didn't think it was worth it. I mean, these guys they they must know what they're doing. They must know more than we we do about ratings and and media. Anyways, let me let me ask you about Calvin Ridley. This news just broke today, and. Uh, you know, he, he essentially was suspended by the NFL for one year for betting what I believe was on his own team. It sounds like he bet $1,500 on his own team to win. He's a wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, good player, and he uh, allegedly bet $1,500 on his own team. I don't know if it was multiple games or one game or not, but um, to me, they obviously can't have this. My initial reaction is they can't have it. So you have to give a really harsh penalty. So to me, the one year um, is fine, but you know, this goes back to the Pete Rose situation. Why he's not in the baseball hall of fame. He bet on his own team, betting in baseball. He was never elected into the hall of fame among that. Maybe he just was annoying to reporters and that's why he never got the vote. But one of the great players, I, I always thought that if a player bet on his own team, it was different than just betting on the game, right? If, you, if you're betting on your team to win and you're incentivized more, to win I, I don't even know what I, I don't know what's wrong with that you can't have you can't have the players betting but I, I do feel it's the lesser of two evils yeah you know I, I think I think at the end of the day it's more of a it's more of a policy decision right so it doesn't seem like Ridley actually had you know certainly some team to win like it's, there's no ill intent there um you just can't open that door. That that's that's really I think that that's what it all comes down to, right? Especially right, you're talking about, you're talking about a player who, who you know, for his own reasons, started sitting out the year. So it's very easy, I think, to see a world where maybe players start sitting games out, right? So sitting games out, maybe tanking. Um, you know, through whatever channels that they do, um, placing on bets against their team. Just when you're making a policy decision like this, you always have to think of the worst possible, you know, the, the worst possible situation. Good point. So, so I think the league's doing here. Um, actually, I don't know if you saw Ridley's tweets following um, following the stories coming out, but he's basically saying, hey man, it was $1,500. I bet on my own team what's wrong with this like yeah man you just can't do it <laughs> right yeah the optics right? of his, the optics of his reaction are definitely problematic you, you can't act like you didn't do anything wrong you can't yeah. act unapologetic that's a big problem yeah and, he came uh, out and said i made a huge mistake i'm sorry and i have a feeling yeah. that apology is going to be coming soon yeah yeah of course um 
<laughs> you know, I, mean, I think it's just kind of a, a definitely not what I thought you know, when I woke up this morning, something we'd be talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess we know now why the Jets didn't trade for him. Um, but, all right. Yeah, right. Well, um, all right. So we're at the 30 minute mark here. I'll ask you one more question before I let you go for the evening, Mike. Without going to, I know you're a big combine fanatic, just like me, Mel Kuyper, and I'm sure we'll have another follow-up conversation about it. But the, the, the one thing, let me ask you, the top quarterback prospect in the draft from Pittsburgh, do small hands, is that a problem? So I've listened to... Hand size to, a problem. I feel like the, the, the hand size thing keeps coming up with the presidential race, <laughs> combines... <laughs> Yes, Why nothing wrong in that is... department, don't you, Barry? Um, <laughs> look, you know, I I was just listening. You know, I've listened to you know, obviously, as you know, as your listeners know, I am a draft nut, and that also means I am a combine nut. So this weekend was one of my favorites of the year. Um, I've listened to so many interviews over the last couple of days, and I believe it was Brady Quinn. He was on one of the PFF podcasts, and he says, "I don't know what everybody's making a big deal about." The guy wears gloves, right? Talking about Pickett. Uh, he wears right. a glove. He wears a glove on his throwing hand. The, these gloves are literally, you know, like the sticky tack from the, that the receivers used to use during the 70s to, you know, to hold on to the ball. Uh, th- there's no problem there. And he can they, get it. And he can get a, like a, a really firm, complete grip on the ball with those gloves. Yeah, I mean, the guy played right. Everybody, when when you see these, um, and we see commentators talking about this, right? What do they say? It, it comes out. It's always two things, right? He's gonna fumble if he gets hit, which like, which okay, may, maybe there's a slightly higher possibility of that happening with the small hands. But then they always say, well, what if it's, what if it's the winter? You're playing for a playoff spot. You're playing in cold weather. The guy played at Pittsburgh. He played in Heinz Field. It's one of the yeah. coldest stadiums in the in the NFL. Right. Right. So That's a good point. You know, it, it's a talking point that people, you know, it, it gets clicks. But yeah. um, <laughs> at the end of the day, he's a good quarterback. Um, I don't know if he's worthy of like a top ten pick, but he's a good quarterback. He wears the gloves. He'll be fine. And you know, the problem will be negated if you put a good offensive line in front of him anyway, like every quarterback should have. So, um, I think it's a funny conversation because yeah, right. Every four years it becomes a topic, but um, but yeah, I, I I don't really see it as as being a big deal, and I do think he's the best quarterback in this in this class. Yeah, be interesting to see where he lands, whether it's in Pittsburgh or. Uh, another team that need, needs a needs a QB, so uh, we'll have to do another uh, NFL draft spectacular special with wrapping up the combine as well as we get ready to see who the Jets and uh, some of the other local teams that are going to be taking. So, Mike, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, get some rest, and uh, we'll do it again soon, dude. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks, pal. Bye. Bye.